This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And just like that, we're back. It's Tuesday morning. It's February 16th, the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Josh Pate. This is the Late Kick Extra podcast. It is nine degrees as I record, not in the apartment. That would be a record, but just outside here in downtown Nashville. Snow and ice all over the place. I haven't been outside since Sunday night. Uh, It's not ideal, but hey, it could be a whole lot worse. I know a lot of you guys are going through it in the Midwest. Texas, Oklahoma City is negative 14 this morning. And not that this is a breaking weather report by any means, but That's a record that they set in 1899. I said 18, not 19, 1899. So that's pre-Bob Stoops. That's even pre-Bud Wilkinson out there. So um, keep it, keep it warm. That's my advice. Keep it, keep it warm. And it's been a time, obviously, a lot of, a lot of people going through a lot of things they haven't been through before, meteorologically speaking, and also a lot of people going through things they haven't been through in the world of college football. So we've got a lot of healthy dosage to talk about regarding everything Obviously, since I've been stuck inside, I've had plenty of time to be talking to you guys, so I got a loaded mailbag this morning. Now, I wanted to quickly revisit something that I talked about on Late Kick Live Sunday night, kind of floated an idea out there. Normally, the way I do it is the less descriptive I am when I float ideas, the more you guys are inquisitive. And Sunday night, what I said is I was going to use a benchmark. I was going to do a little trial run. Since last time I asked for a thousand five-star reviews in the podcast, it happened what I thought was going to take a month happened in like 24 or 48 hours. So I said, that's interesting. Tuck that little detail away, find out what you guys are capable of. And it far exceeded my expectations. So what I looked at is I said, all right, I got an idea. Let's attach a benchmark to it. Might as well get something out of it. Right. And so I was sitting at like, I can't remember where it was. It was just shy of 13,000 Twitter followers. Cause see for a long time, I didn't take Twitter seriously. Only recently, only since I've gotten here, have I really been serious about Twitter. It's why I don't have some huge following on there like a lot of other folks in our business do. Well, maybe it's just because I'm not popular. Maybe I'm sitting all by myself at the lunchroom table. But the the other reason that I like to tell myself to keep myself confident, you know, keep the spirits up, self-esteem, et cetera, is I just, I never really took it seriously. Even when I was in the news media and it was company policy that you take it seriously, I still didn't really take it seriously. So anyway, in, in trying to build that audience up, I said, I got an idea. Let me attach it to it. So I said, get me to 13,000. Next time we pass the benchmark of an even 1,000, 13,000 coming up next, I'm going to do something. So I said it the other night, give me the 13,000. I got a really, really good, very extremely interactive and fun idea that I want to debut. And I'm going to use you guys to do it. So what I've been thinking is we do this Late Kick Extra mailbag podcast, which we're doing this morning, about to get into it, I promise. It's going to be about another minute. We do this all the time. Uh, it's it's the most fun I have all week because I don't have to, well, first off, it's the easiest thing that I do all week because I don't have to stack the show. I just take your questions and answer them. But secondly, it's very interactive. You guys get into it. I mean, we have questions come in by the hundreds every week. It could be the thousands. I don't know because, I mean, really, I don't want to count that high. That's dangerous. That's a lot of brain power being used for something that can be sort of eh, guesstimated. So let's guesstimate about uh, 750 to 1,000. 
and it's fun. So what I want to do is I want to do more of it, but I also want to get a video product out of it. So here's what I'm thinking. What I'm thinking is when we get to 13,000 on Twitter, and we're really close. I had like 150 new followers yesterday. So we're really close. When we get there, here is my idea. Didn't float this on the show the other night. This is the first time I'm saying this because I had to clear it with our people and make sure it's possible. What I want to do is I want to take about five to 10 of you. I don't know who it's going to be yet. I don't know what the lottery system is going to look like, but I want to take about five to 10 of you. And instead of doing just a normal mailbag episode of Late Kick Extra, I want to do a full Zoom version of it to where five to 10 of you are there and we record it you know, live. We don't broadcast it live, but we record it live. And so I want to basically have a back and forth instead of just having people submit questions via email. I just want to sit there and have you toss them to me. And it, by the way, it doesn't just have to be you submit a question, you sit there and be quiet, and I respond. There could be dialogue. There can be back and forth. You could gang up on me. I do control the mute and record options. So I will not have myself looking. Um, how, do, how should I put this? I will not allow myself to look more intellectually inferior or vulnerable than I normally would. So you define what that is for you, and we won't go beyond that. But I think it'd be really, really fun because I've had you guys ask before. And when I've done some Zoom consultations in the group setting in the past, I thought to myself, man, I should just record this. It would be illegal not letting these folks know, but it would really be good because, I mean, some of the stuff that's being discussed back and forth, it would make for a really good show. So that's the idea. And when we get past 13,000 followers on Twitter, which could be like today or tomorrow, I don't know, uh, just get me there. We'll find out afterwards how we're going to conduct this. But it's not something I'm going to kick the can down the road a year on. We're going to do it pretty quickly. So as of this morning, well, we got to do a mailbag. And I've got a lot of really good submissions. So let's dive right in. The first question in the Late Kick Extra mailbag this morning uh, actually it comes to us courtesy of about 37 different folks. It's a combination of this. How in the world do you think Gus Malzahn is going to do at UCF? How in the world do you think Gus Malzahn wound up at UCF? What do you think about this whole incestuous back and forth of Brian Harson used to be here and then Malzahn used to be there and now he's there and Malzahn's here? Uh, how does Josh Heupel figure into all this? Like It's kind of this rearranging of deck chairs and who won, who lost? Well, let me break this down. So it is very fascinating. There's a dynamic in play right now. There's a big question going around sort of in our industry, and I saw some of you guys asking it yesterday too. What What's the better job? Like right now, did Gus Malzahn secretly get the best job out of those three, the Tennessee, Auburn, Central Florida triangle right now? And um, I think the argument could be made, yes, it all depends on what your criteria are. But I will tell you, you know, even if you side with Auburn, Tennessee being superior jobs still, I'm not saying programs, I'm saying jobs, understand the difference there. If you even side with those being superior jobs, I think even you have to admit it's getting a little close for comfort. I mean, this is a new age and things have shrunk. The margins are a lot thinner when you can start to pay folks what some G5 programs can pay them now. It gets a little more interesting. Now, the Malzahn situation is unique, so let me not go down too many side roads. So let's think this out loud here, okay? Let's first go with the question that many asked about the job comparisons. Well, if you are of the opinion that you want to go compete in the highest levels of the sport, then yes, Auburn is clearly a better job. If you care about tradition and history, yes, Auburn is clearly a better job. If you care about overall facilities, even though I'd love to see Auburn do more relative to the SEC, certainly relative to UCF, better job. But now there are several factors in play at UCF that could give it an edge too relative competition level and resource level at Auburn puts you behind the eight ball 
when it comes to Alabama and Georgia and maybe LSU, maybe A&M, but at Central Florida, you don't have to deal with that. At Central Florida, resource-wise and certainly recruiting-wise, the playing field is either level or tilted in your favor. In all the critical factors, you're in Orlando you are down there where all the talent is anyway. People have to come to your backyard to recruit. Uh, you've got a very, very invigorated fan base, donor base. We talked about them improving donations 400% over the past four years. And that was under Danny White, the AD who just went to Tennessee. So there's a lot of energy around the program. They've seen what can happen. And more importantly, you, if you're Gus Malzahn, you've seen what can happen. So do you think you're as good as Scott Frost? His answer unequivocally would be yes, which means he believes that he can do that there. And you can also, you can turn Central Florida into a premier job. I don't mean in the G5. I just mean a premier job because here's what I would think about. If I were taking that job, I remember back in 2016 when I was down in Columbus, as much as all of you think that I despise the G5, I don't. I've explained my stance many, many times. It is, it is theory. It is principle. It's not directed in any one program. So I was saying down there, Houston and Central Florida were the two jobs that I would want. And I would go there and I would just stay there. I'd go there and win. So let's let's assume I'm good. If I'm a good coach, I would go there and win. I would make really good money. You know, I'd be paid. You know, Malzahn's contract is probably not the best barometer because Malzahn has a unique situation. Again, about to get to that financially. But I'd go down there and I'd make 3 or $4 million a year. I'd continue to add on, you know, 2% raise, 3% raise every year, whatever it's going to be. But I would sit and wait because what I think is going to happen is I think college football is going to shift to the point where maybe those programs are in the Power 5 level in a few years. However that happens, I don't know how that happens. It could be they stay in the AAC, and we just start we just start referring to that as the fifth power conference. Maybe the, the Pac-12 never really gets it together and continues to sort of collectively fade into the abyss with the exception of a few programs out there who are continuing to try you know, against, against the stream. They're continuing to try. But maybe that's the way it happens. Or maybe you have a sudden round of conference expansion again, and Houston and or Central Florida are gobbled up. Point is, there are several arguments to be made that the Central Florida program is a really good job, is a top 20 job. The other questions dealt with how good a coach is Malzahn. Gus Malzahn's one of the 20th best head coaches in America. I said that when he was at Auburn. That's one of the reasons I thought it was ludicrous to fire him. I was in the minority. Clearly, I was in the minority. And sometimes, even if you are a top 20 coach, maybe the situation is stale and has run its course at a particular outpost. I get that. I understand it. It could So you could make the argument it was right for Auburn to move on. And it's also a slam dunk, home run, grand slam hire for Central Florida. You can make that argument. I wouldn't push back too hard on that. However, let me just put it this way. I think definitively they have their best coach they've had. Central Florida has the best coach they've had. That's how I feel. I think a lot of people are judging Malzahn based on his Auburn track record. And by the way, I think that track record's pretty darn good. He stayed at Auburn eight years. He stayed in the direct shadow of Nick Saban for eight years. You know how many other people are going to say that 30 years down the road when they're looking back? None. And he beat him a couple of times. I mean, Malzahn's probably kept Saban from a couple of more national championships. So Malzahn's a really good coach. However, I think because people, probably fairly or unfairly, you decide, but I think because people judged him against the backdrop of Nick Saban, who no one's going to measure up to, Malzahn's looked at as a failure. Uh, no, no, it's all relative. Because let me ask you this. So who's the best head coach that UCF's had? Scott Frost is the one who went undefeated down there. And according to some, allegedly, rumor has it, won a national championship. Can I ask you a question? Let's just be honest with ourselves. Scott Frost fans or not, 
and this is nothing against Scott Frost. How do you think he'd do if he took the Auburn job today? I mean, he's, he's at Nebraska right now. They're, they're not making any noise whatsoever. Uh, they certainly are in my inbox, though. You guys have been asking for a Nebraska mood tracker. You're going to get it. You've, you've done exactly what I asked you to do. So we got a lot of Nebraska folks who listen to the show and watch the show. It's certainly not a knock on Nebraska by any stretch of the imagination. I love Nebraska. Never been able to go to a game there, so it's on the old like, kick bucket list. But, but please, just slow down, take a breath, and be real for a second. How do you think Scott Frost would do it in Nebraska? And if your answer is probably along the lines of what Malzahn did would be the best case scenario, well then how in the world are we about to scoff at the notion that Malzahn may actually secretly be the best coach that Central Florida's had? I I think he is. And so my point is, I think he's undervalued as a coaching commodity because he was in an untenable situation. I had someone push back the other day on the assertion that I've made for a while that Auburn is the toughest job in America. And so people don't listen to what I say. They hear what they thought I said. Whenever I, whenever I make that point, what, I, what I'm saying, and I always follow it up with these qualifiers, what I'm saying is I think Auburn, when you're factoring in the expectation level relative to the challenge at that spot, is the toughest job in America. See, yes, if I were to go to Tulsa, it's harder to win at Tulsa than it is at Auburn. No one expects you to win 10 games a year and compete for a national championship at Tulsa. They do at Auburn. They do. They absolutely do. Um, remember who their biggest rivals are. So with that being the expectation level, here's what you get to do. You get to be the only program in America that has to compete with four of about the six or seven best recruiting programs in America every year. You're the only one who has to play Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and Texas A&M every year. That is hard to do. Unless you're one of the most premier recruiters in America, it virtually guarantees you're going to be at a talent disadvantage to some degree or another four times out of your schedule. That's a third of your schedule in a normal year. And those are all conference games. So yes, it's extremely difficult. It would chew and spit out most coaches. Uh, Brian Harson's about to find this out. I wish him all the success in the world. Harson's about to find it out. So now Malzahn's going to UCF. Uh, the knock on him at Auburn was valid, and that was he could never recruit and develop his own quarterbacks. Well, you could also just use the transfer portal. I mean, if it worse comes to worse, it, Malzahn could do it at Central Florida the way that he's always had to do it at Auburn when his teams were the most successful. I also don't know, um, you know, I don't know what lessons he thinks he may have learned. We'll see. Malzahn's a guy I don't believe is in kind of a, a transformative stage in his career. I think he is who he is, and who he is is good enough to win a whole lot of games at UCF. So I think he'll be successful there. We'll see what kind of tweaks he makes. I mean, he's certainly running his offense. He's certainly calling plays. Uh, he is certainly, this is so hilarious, he is um, certainly aware of the pressure cooker that exists at Central Florida. I was having some fun yesterday, and I, I, wasn't, I wasn't dunking on this guy by any stretch because he's, he's doing his job down there, and he's a sports director I saw in Orlando. But he asked, I'm going to find his name. I'm looking it up as we speak. But he asked Malzahn at the press conference, I'm paraphrasing, said, hey, I know, um, I know you came from Auburn, but... Are you familiar with what kind of pressure cooker you're walking into here? So the guy's name is Darren Stoltfus. He's a sports director at WESH in Orlando. Uh, if you're a sports director in that market size, you know how to get the job done. So I'm not making fun of the guy by any stretch of the imagination. I've been a sports director before. It is not the most envious job in the world sometimes. So I, I just thought it was kind of it was kind of funny because, and you can do that, by the way. You're allowed to do that. You're allowed to just kind of playfully have some fun with something without calling a guy an idiot. You know, it is it is possible 
believe it or not, it is possible in 2021 to just lightheartedly kid someone. You don't always have to question someone's intellect or cast dispersions on their character just because you saw a three or four second clip of their life. So anyway, I was watching that, and then I, I just, my reaction is, dude, Malzahn is coming from a place, as I tweeted yesterday, that is less intense than some hostage situations that I've witnessed. So yeah, I think he's okay. He'll be good. I mean, he could go lead armies right now and in some cases not deal with some of the stuff and some of the baggage and headaches that he had to deal with at Auburn, which comes with the job. They pay you that kind of money. They're going to expect you to be able to deal with that. Uh, the other thing that I got asked and many of you asked is whether Central Florida upgraded. Yeah, they did. I'm, that's not even close in my mind. Yes, they did. They had Josh Heupel. They have Gus Malzahn now. But when you dig a little deeper, and this is where we just got to hats off applaud Central Florida. When's the last time you saw a program lose their athletic director, their head coach, after the season, by the way. So after the pool of available coaches is, in most cases, all dried up, they lost their athletic director and their head coach, and they got better. I think they improved. I don't know about the athletic director portion, but we we identify the face of a program by the head coach. They improved. That's hard to do. It's hard to do at any level. I mean, if if the University of Georgia were to lose their AD and head coach right now, they'd be okay, trust me. But, I mean, it wouldn't be easy. And so Central Florida, hats off to you guys. And then there was another part, so I actually have like multiple tentacles of yesterday's situation. Since the Central Florida job was open, and it's open because their head coach went to Tennessee, some people were asking, which is the better job right now? Which would you rather have? I got to be honest with you. I'd rather have the Central Florida job. I mean, I've got an equal to or slight advantage over my competition. I'm going to be paid enough. At Tennessee, the backdrop is total total mystery. It's complete unknown abyss. You don't know what's coming down the road. So you're going to be at a disadvantage. You're inheriting an inferior roster. All that, if you're good enough, that can be rectified. You know my feelings on the Tennessee job. I don't need to rehash it. I'm, I'm about as far from a vol hater as could possibly be. I'm a big believer in the potential of the Tennessee program. But that's independent of what the current situation is, and that's the NCAA uncertainty. And I mean, you're asking me right now, not in 10 years or 10 years ago, right now, what's the better job? I take the Central Florida job, which begs the question, why did a combination of AD and head coach just leave one for the other? Well, obviously, they don't agree with me, first off. That's obvious. Secondly, though, the question was posed to me and not them. And so I like the Central Florida position in the college football ecosystem right now better than I would like the Tennessee job. Now, it could very well be that we get an announcement that the NCAA is going to pursue no further action against Tennessee than has already been pursued uh, tomorrow. You know, maybe that announcement comes tomorrow. Highly, highly unlikely. But if that were the case, I would shift my opinion on that. If the uncertainty were taken away and all it was was a rebuild, well, I would like the Tennessee job better. And lastly, everyone was very, very curious about the salary from Malzahn. So the salary uh, was, I think, five years, $11.5 million. And that's total, not per year. And some looked at that and said, that's interesting. Isn't that a little low? Yeah, it is. It sure is. Now let's get to the rest of the story. The rest of the story has to do with a little little term in our world. It's called mitigation. There's a mitigation clause put in contracts. And basically, here's what I've learned about law and politics over the years. Law and politics, they were smart enough to create their own language a long time ago. And what this does is it has the exact effect on you that someone speaking Mandarin Chinese would have on me. I wouldn't understand a single thing being said. Well, when it comes to law and when it comes to politics, 
If they can pull that off, then it can make some basic concepts seem extremely complex. And here's the basic concept in play. Malzahn got fired from Auburn. And you would think most of the time, a buyout is only good if you're not working somewhere else. You know, if I fire you and the buyout language in your contract is, I've got to pay you $21.5 million over the next however many years, well, okay, that's if you just sit at home. But if you go and find another job, then we're either going to offset the 21.5 relative to how much you're making there, or I won't owe you anything. Well, here's how good the agents, namely Jimmy Sexton, has been in the SEC, and they have victimized athletic departments at every turn. South Carolina, Muschamp just found this out. Malzahn did not have a mitigation clause in his contract, ladies and gentlemen. So when Gus Malzahn woke up yesterday morning, Auburn owed him $21.5 million. And when Gus Malzahn woke up this morning, Auburn owed him $21.5 million. And in between those two points, he took a new job that's going to pay him another $11.5 million, plus probably incentives and raises over the next five years. Gus Malzahn is living a charmed life. And here's another thing I know about Malzahn. He may even be cheaper than me. I mean, he drove the same F-250 around Auburn all eight years of his tenure there from what I saw. So he doesn't spend any of his money. He's like Kevin Garnett. I think what his plan has been all along is to coach until he gets to a certain age and then say bye and go buy an island. Like David Copperfield, I read one time, uh, was buying islands in in the Bahamas. That's what I would do if I were Malzahn. Just work until a certain age and then go live in the Bahamas and be totally off the grid for the rest of your life. All right, uh, next up is a good one. Really good one. I think I got it a couple of weeks ago, and it's been kicked down the road because it was evergreen. See, that's the secret. Always ask me time-sensitive questions because it forces me to answer them. If you ask me the evergreen questions, they just they just drop to the bottom, and they, they get left on the cutting room floor. But don't worry. I'll eventually answer them. So Jason has one. I want you to think about this. Your earliest sports memory, favorite sports memory, because I got one that's pretty vivid, and we'll talk about it right after this. So Jason asked actually a two-part question. The first one was, what's your earliest sports memory and what's the first game you ever went to? My earliest sports memory was in 1992, I was a a wee tot, wee wee tot, and the first time I was allowed to stay up past midnight was to watch a national championship game. So that year, that was the Miami-Alabama game. It was the first time I was allowed to stay up past midnight. So that was very memorable. That was also a game Miami was favored over Bama and Bama. I think one, it was 34-13. 31 or 34, 13, I think the final was, I've got a computer hooked up to internet right in front of me, and I am not even looking the score up, which is pathetic, but we're on a time crunch this morning. So that's the first sports memory. Now, my first live sporting event, boy, I don't know what the year was. It was the 90s, and I was taken to a game. It was the Saturday game of the week on CBS, but not college football. It was baseball, because they used to have a Saturday game of the week on CBS for baseball. And it was Braves-Mets. It was at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. Hashtag gone but not forgotten. And uh, Atlanta lost 3-2 to two in 10 innings. I was heartbroken. Jeff Blauser hit a home run that day. First live home run I've ever seen. Shout out Jeff Blauser, by the way. That, that was like 10,000 to 1 odds on the podcast this morning. So a big round of applause for all you folks holding a Jeff Blauser late kick mention ticket. That one's going to cash. But I remember walking in a big league stadium for the first time. Man, I was I was awestruck. I didn't even feel like that was real life. Fulton County Stadium has been demolished now, and Turner Field is no longer in use for the Braves. So I've been through three stadiums already in my, well, I still think, my pretty young lifetime. I mean, I'm not approaching retirement age by any stretch around here. And Turner Field just wasn't around a long time for baseball. They broke it in in 97, and it was done, what, like, 
three or four years ago now. Stadiums just don't last today as long as they used to. It's kind of fascinating, if you really think about it, that the Cubs and Red Sox are still playing in the same stadiums they were in like when the Titanic sank. And then you got other teams who have been in and out of ballparks already and moved to new ones in your lifetime, and I mean, you're still fairly young. The, the Falcons did the same thing. They were in the Georgia Dome early 90s until uh, early 20-teens, and then they built Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I love the Georgia Dome. I've spoken about my love for the Georgia Dome many times. Mercedes-Benz Stadium is great. I like the Georgia Dome. That was the first place I ever got to cover a college football game. It was Bama, West Virginia, I think it was. So I've got I've got a fondness for that place. I like the parking situation better, and that's a personal thing. But I miss the Georgia Dome. So th- those are my first memories. Those are always real fun stories. I could sit there all day. In fact, when we do this this interactive Zoom style podcast with you guys, whenever I get to thirteen thousand on Twitter, I may just ask you your favorite or first sports memory, and then just shut up. It may make for very very entertaining audio. I also wanted to hit this uh, transition. This is a new topic now. Not so much a question. A lot of you just submitted things after the Sunday show. On If you have already missed this, I suggest that you go back and listen to it. The Sunday night show, I discussed the NCAA's extension or proposed extension of the recruiting dead period. And some of you, when you hear the word recruiting, you're either into it or you're not. But I would suggest all of you should be into this particular facet of recruiting. So the dead period has been in place for like a year now for COVID-related reasons, which I had never had a problem with. I think in time it's grown very impractical and illogical in its implementation. And I was talking about it the other night because you got a class of 2022 kids, rising seniors, this upcoming fall in high school that are going to be going on now two years when you overlay the time periods where they will have not gotten the chance to go to camps, have in-person evaluations, have in-person interactions with coaches. And I think a lot of times, if you're not involved in the world, you look at recruiting through the lens of four and five star kids. And you think to yourself, oh, well, you know, they'll get an offer either way. They'll get evaluated either way. You're right. You're right. But that's the small chunk of the pie. There are thousands of kids out there who don't meet those qualifications who also want to play college football and they're falling through the cracks. It just happened in the 2021 cycle. But it's going to really happen in the 2022 cycle. So we're looking at extending this dead period until May 31st. So all of March, all of April, all of May, and then we'll revisit and may open things up in June and July. And I just, I spoke about it the other night and I had so many coaches, parents, and actual high school players in my inbox just thanking me. They don't have a voice. They don't have a voice right now. They're out there. They are yelling. It's like they're yelling in in space where there's no oxygen and there's no sound and like no one can hear them. They are getting screwed and they're getting screwed not for reasons that are necessary anymore. There is no way you're going to convince me that parents and players of parents could not be safely capable of visiting college campuses. And there's no way you're going to tell me that assistant coaches and head coaches could not safely All the proper health requirements necessary go out on the road and visit face-to-face with families and visit face-to-face with players. And yet the can's just being lazily kicked down the road right now because the oversight committee is suggesting it, and it's insane. To me, it's insane. Whoever's to blame, it's insane. So I just wanted to acknowledge, I got your emails, I've read them, I've interacted with a lot of you, but quite frankly, there have been too many to interact with every single one of them. But there are a lot of high school coaches who were thanking me because, hey, someone finally voiced what we've been trying to voice 
for a long time, and it seems like no one's listening, and parents, and a ton of parents, and players. So just want to let you guys know, I got those emails, I've, I've gotten those DMs, and yes, I will continue to voice concerns about this, because I think they're very valid. It's just to not even be given the option. That's what's aggravating to me, and I know it's maddening to you guys. To not be given the option to just make your own decision. No one's forcing you. No one wants to force you to go take visits. No one wants to force you to have coaches come in your school or in your living room. To not have the option, when a vast majority of you that I've heard from want the option, that's what's ridiculous. And you got a lot of other people who aren't emotionally attached to it who look around and say, oh, it'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine for you. But you're not a high school junior right now who's only going to get one shot at this thing. See, I'm in, I work for 24-7 sports, so there'll be a new class of seniors every year for me. And if there's disruption for 2021 and 2022, hey, 2023, the sun will rise again. But here's the thing. If you're a junior right now, that's not the deal. There's only going to be one shot. And if you're a kid who was going to be maybe a borderline, like the 23rd or 24th spot in a 25-man class for Eastern Michigan, you may not have a shot. You may be a guy who falls through the cracks. And what happens then? What do you tell that kid? What do you tell him? Like, football was their plan A. What do you tell him? I don't know. I have no clue. So I really just wish we could get this thing figured out. All right, let me let Kevin wrap us up this morning here. He says, dude, why are you hyping Miami so much? I didn't know that I was, Kevin. So I... I, uh, I get this often. I don't have a problem with it. Thank you for the submission, Kevin. I don't know that I'm hyping Miami. Let me very clearly state my feelings on Miami. I, I think this is one of those situations where people have heard me say something I haven't said. I think Miami is an improving program, which means I think they're going to be better tomorrow than they are today, and they're on that trajectory currently. I see no reason to believe that's going to stop. I think Manny Diaz has done a really good job of overturning and improving his roster. They're recruiting well. They're not at elite level yet, but they can be. And they're recruiting better today than they did yesterday. Their coaching staff, I think, is better today than it was last year. They've made improvements year over year. Okay, So that's a program that's trending in the right direction. It's not great or terrible. It's not all or nothing. It's not always black or white. There are several shades of gray in college football and in life, really. I mean, people want to say Miami's been terrible. Miami was a nine-win program last year. That's not terrible. It's not great. It's not terrible. You, you don't have to beat Clemson or else suck. There are, there are levels. There are tiers that you can exist in. So it's not 10 or zero. Miami could be a six right now and trending towards seven or eight status. But I also have talked recently, and I will continue to bang this drum, about the fact that I believe Miami is in a really good spot. If it's Manny Diaz or someone else, they're in a very good spot for the future of college football. Name, image, and likeness is going to be great for them. The transfer portal, one way or another, is going to be great for them. you got a lot of kids who leave South Florida who may want to default back home. Miami is in a natural position to benefit from that. Miami's in a good spot. So that's the hype I've been giving them. Last I checked, and Jordan, producer Jordan, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think I've predicted them to beat Clemson this year. I don't think I've called for them to pull the upset over Alabama in week one. I don't think I've called for them to make the playoff next year. None of that's come out of my mouth. So whatever the hype you've heard is, it's got to be tied to what I just said. Because all I've said about Miami is what I just reiterated this morning. So I'm not worked up about it. As you can tell, I'm trying to remain calm. But I see this all the time. I get this a lot. People hear what you didn't say. So straight from the horse's mouth, I just submitted to you all my current thoughts about the Miami program. Take them and do with them what you will. Remember, give me a follow on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. Also, since I am snowed and iced in, really good time for you to book those Zoom sessions. Looking to get in sports media, looking to get 
yeah, into the YouTube game, the podcasting game, very shifting shifting sands right now, let's say, in that world, the digital media world. So uh, let's talk about that if you want to. I'm booking them an hour at a time. They're really in-depth. They're really nuanced. They're for people who are serious about getting into this. If you are, hit me with an email, joshpate706 at gmail.com, or you can DM me, as I said, on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. I have got to go record with Steve Wolfong right now. Highlight of my week. So I'm going to send this off to producer Jordan to get cut up, and you will end up hearing this sometime later this morning. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day. Stay warm, stay safe, and God bless.